I love you, church. I just wanted to tell you that today. Um, and I, I don't mean that as a slogan. Some churches, they have, like, I love my church as a slogan, and I'm not knocking that at all. I, like, I genuinely love you. Like, I genuinely love this fellowship. Um, and I am, I am privileged and honored to pastor and lead you, and I mean that. So if I haven't said that, I wanted to say that today. I love you very much, and it's a privilege. Um, I love you because you're a fellowship that loves the Lord and his voice. You love to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're open to what God wants to do in and through you. You're a church that cares and loves when, when we've lost somebody who's gone on to be with, with the Lord, you wrap arms around a family and love on them. When a new one enters into this world, a gift from God, you wrap your arms and you serve food. When men are out skeet shooting and blowing things up, you prepare food. And we are grateful for that. By the way, I'm a little sore right here, Okay. All right, and you can ask some of the other guys. Maybe they'll show you their sore shoulders. Uh, but it was a great time yesterday, just a sweet time of fellowship. Um, yes, we, I don't know how many shells, how many clays got blown up. We're definitely going to have to do it again. It was a blast, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor, we even love your corny jokes. That's right. Yes, um, it was great. It was just a beautiful, wonderful time. Um, boys, men, uh, and then I hear that the ladies want to participate now, and so we may have to get a family shoot uh, set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's exciting. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. So uh, thank you to our elders who hosted that and put that on to Ricky and Brian and led that out. Thank you, men. Uh, it's a privilege to serve with you, and uh, I thank you for that. Um, <laughs> there's this church in Corpus, the whole, the, when you went by their sign, I don't know if you remember this, Dennis, but it said there's a whole lot of love in this house. That was the whole theme of their, on their sign, whole lot of love in this house. So I feel that today, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, the church of Laodicea is our final uh, church that we're looking at from the church of uh, back when Jesus spoke to them in Revelation uh, through the apostle John. Uh, these are the churches of Asia Minor. Laodicea. Now, this one's famous for all the wrong reasons, okay? Um, this is the one that has two of the most famous verses in Revelation. Um, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We're going to look at that context today and probably see why it's been misused by so many evangelists, but that's okay. We'll dive into that, okay? Um, and then the lukewarm, right? You're neither hot nor cold. I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's probably the second most famous in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at both of that. Both of those statements are made to the church of Laodicea. Let's start uh, with Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot, so because of your lukewarmness uh, and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth, literally vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us today. We want to hear your voice, and only your voice, God, not my voice, Lord, but would you speak through me, Holy Spirit? Would you use me? Would you empower me, O God? And would you give us ears to hear today? Would you tune our hearts today? Would you, as we position ourselves to hear from you today, God, would you remove any barrier that the enemy would seek to throw up? And we pray this in the power and the authority in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did y'all remember this, um, the cold challenge going around? Do you remember that? Like that was really like a couple years ago, like during COVID. Everybody said, some, I don't know what genius said, let me jump into the pool. See, we had too much time on our hands, right? So they said, let's just jump into the pool. Then let's do this to raise money. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have seen this, like the cold plunge or something? Yes, yes, my kids did that, by the way. They did a version of that. Um, I don't know if you did that, but then it didn't stop there. Apparently, this cold plunge thing is a common thing that is supposed to be therapeutic and good for your body to go shock and get all, I don't know if it gets the toxins out. I'm not sure. I, I freely admit I haven't researched this. I just see that and I think, y'all are crazy. Like, I cannot believe it. I don't like cold water. Why would you jump into a cold water and stay there for seven minutes, right? It's crazy, right? But they do it. And some people just like, that's part of their weekly routine. I don't know if y'all know that, but that's part of their weekly workout routine is go take a cold plunge for seven minutes, Three times a week, get all the toxins out, I guess, something like that, right? Does anybody want to confess to that today? Y'all love that? Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. The runner, the runner likes it. Yes, that makes sense. It must be a running thing. I get it, okay. Um, So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, that's what Jesus is doing. He's like giving the shock treatment to Laodicea. I mean, it's like boom, you know, just, and he doesn't come in soft, He just comes in, and he comes in hard, and he comes in fast, but he says words like, you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were one or the other, right? But you're just right there in the middle. You're tepid. You're just tepid. Now, again, with all of these letters, we have to look at the context, okay? The context is Laodicea was actually only about eight to 10 miles apart from Colossae, and um, oh, I forgot the other town that starts with an H. Oh, Heropolis. I have it in my notes. It helps if I read. Yes. Yeah. So basically, you had kind of like this triangle of cities, and they were all eight to 10 miles apart, like Nacogdoches to Woden, Nacogdoches to Martinsville, right? Nacogdoches to Douglas, give or take a few. So I know some of you are saying, well, that's 15. I get it. Okay. But give or take a few of those. Just gives you the idea. These cities were all very, um, very close. And so what they would do is they would pass these letters back and forth. 
um, and they would rotate them around the churches. So Paul's letters, he actually says, hey, take this to Laodicea. Laodicea, we actually hear a lot about in um, the book of Colossians because it's so close to Colossae. So there's, they're, they're like, they talk about it a lot. It's like a sister city. Well, what you need to know is that also um, that there were two different um, waters in these two cities. Colossae had very cold, pure, refreshing water like you would like to drink, and Oropolis had hot medicinal waters. And guess who's in between? Laodicea. So by the time it comes down from Colossae, it's cold up coming from the spring. By the time it gets down to Laodicea, it is, yeah, right? You want your coffee hot. You want your tea cold. Some of you like hot tea, right? But who wants lukewarm tea? Who wants lukewarm coffee? If you're weird like that, we can talk after, okay? But, but be, for the most part, we, we like our hot coffee and we like our iced tea for the most part, okay? And, and what you had here is you had a town that physically is positioned in between these two different waters of two extreme type temperatures. And so Jesus is saying this, and as he often does in these letters, he's taking the physical aspects of the city and he's drawing a spiritual application to them. Make sense? He always does this. He's done this in each one of these letters and he's really doing it right here. He says, I know that your works... And he has, no condom, he has no commendation for them after that. In fact, if you look at this letter, there's really no commendation. There's no con, uh, commending. Condom, commending. Got it. Sorry. Commending. There's no commending here. Okay? And so um, what we see is that he very much is coming with a shock treatment to the church. Okay? And so... The first thing that we see, and you can write this down, is that we are in need. We are in need. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. I want you to see the extreme contrast here. We are in need. I believe the worst spot that you can be in as a believer in Jesus is to think that you need nothing. The worst spot that you can be in, and if you want to be in a place of lukewarmness and apathy, is think that you've got everything you need. Self-sufficiency is opposed to the Holy Spirit of God working. Why do you think Jesus says in the very first, in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first beatitude is what? Blessed are the rich in spirit. No, no. Blessed are the poor. And spirit. Guys, every time we look in the Gospels, we see here that God is not, exalt, he is not propelling and perpetuating this gospel of materialism or humanness. In fact, everything, he flips it on its head and he says, hey, if anybody wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If anybody, does that sound like lukewarmness? By the way, does that sound like middle ground? Does that sound like I can just straddle the fence? No, listen to me. Jesus demands a verdict. He loves you. But as Max Lucado says, and I love the title of this book, In the Grip of Grace, he says he loves you too much to leave you that way. Right? You, you must do something with him. You must make a decision, right? C.S. Lewis said that, that uh, in, in his famous quote, he said he's, he's either Lord or, he, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. You can't, you gotta make your pick. Which one is he? 
You can't say, you, you, if, if he truly is the son of God, you have to believe him and take him at his word that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. Otherwise, he's fooled everybody. And he was a fake. You see what I'm saying? There's no middle ground. You have to, you have to decide, do I simply believe he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do? That is called faith. And so there is no middle ground. We must confess that we are in need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Guys, friends, the reason that that's the very first thing is because if you don't get that foundational thing, you're not going to get blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You're not going to get any of that. You know why? Because you're full of you. And if you're full of you, you don't need him. There's, there's, no, there's no room. You can't be self-sufficient and declare your allegiance and dependence upon the Lord. This is where Laodicea is. They are the church that everything's okay. They're rocking along. They're rolling along. There's money in the bank account. It's sitting there. It's growing interest. Hey, not a care in the world. We're just going to do, we're going to meet every Sunday or, and we're just going to just uh, praise the Lord. Why else would Jesus say, I know your works, but he doesn't go on to give any praise of these works. He goes right to the shock therapy and says, I, I know your works, but you're, you're sitting in the middle and you're just going through the motions. The church of Laodicea is literally just going through the motions. In other words, Jesus is, Jesus is saying specifically in verse 17, he says, you think that you're rich? You say, I am rich. I have prospered you. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you see the contrast there? In other words, Jesus is saying, who do you think you are? You ever had one of those moments where someone just comes and kind of shakes you and says, who, who do you, oh, I don't know who you're talking to, <laughs> but who do you think you are? Jesus is saying that to the church of Laodicea. Who do you, who do you think you are? You, 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 think, you think you're doing these works and you think you're doing them for me, but really the heart and the motive of your heart is to build up a building or to build up, you know, numbers or to build stuff up like that that everybody can say, ooh, ah, look at them, they're doing great. And Jesus says, I know your works, but they're not for me. You're poor. You think you're rich. Guys, the, 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 the biggest thing, the biggest thing that gets in the way of us depending upon the Lord is our self-sufficiency thinking that we can do it on our own. And I'm going to just say the church in America, with our abundance, it has inoculated us and numbed us to the desperate need that we have of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to buy something, <laughs> he says, you come to my storehouse and you come and you buy of me and my goods. That's the next thing you can write down. Here's the contrast. Jesus says, I'm rich. Jesus is rich. <laughs> we serve the one who has everything. We serve the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We serve the one who lacks nothing. 
He says, I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined by fire. Let's pause right there. Ooh, this is hard. He says, you know, the material stuff and that other stuff, he says, that's not what you need. He says, you need to come buy in my spiritual storehouse. And guess what you need to buy? You need to buy some gold, but not just simply gold. You buy gold that's refined by fire. You know what that means? That's hard stuff. That's hard. That's the loving your enemy stuff. That's the loving the one who you thought was your friend but betrayed you or talked about you or gossiped about you and put a perception out there about you that is totally false. Yet, that's loving that person. That's called being refined by fire. Refinement's hard, would we agree? We know what happens in the metal, right? And to get, to get the purification of the metal, the heat is turned up to get the dross out so that when the blacksmith looks in or the metalsmith looks in, that all he sees is this pure, beautiful reflection. Same thing with us and the Lord. He wants to see this pure, beautiful reflection, but in order to do that, he's got to turn up the heat. He has to do these things. Now listen, there's two things, there's two types of refinement, right? There's, there's refinement, that's brought about by our disobedience. Let's just be straight up. It's our rebellious spirit that's wanting to run headlong into pursuing our kingdom versus his, right? Then there's refinement that is not of your disobedience. It's because the Lord is wanting to glorify himself and bring you closer to his heart. And it is at no fault of your own. Honestly, it might be the result of a prayer that you prayed that said, God, I want to know you more. He says, okay, I want to honor that and I'm going to bring you through some things. Through my gracious hand, I'm going to allow some things to come into your life that are going to be some trials and they're going to be suffering. And yes, you might even go through a season of suffering but it is for this refinement that I want you to have it so that you might know me more and know me deeper. Don't you believe that Peter knew the Lord on a so much deeper level after he denied him three times and then he's restored? Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Why are you asking? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Guys, there's a depth of love there that Peter didn't know prior to the cross and prior to the denial. There's an intimacy and a depth of love, which we're going to get to that in just a minute. But we have to realize and we have to acknowledge that we are rich and God wants us to come and purchase at his storehouse, his beautiful storehouse of gold refined by fire. What else? white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. God is the God of mercy. Blessed, blessed are those who are shown mercy. You have been shown mercy and kindness from the Lord and he wants to clothe you with himself so that when people see you, hear you, they see the beauty of Jesus and they don't see your shame. They don't look at decades of wandering from the Lord. 
They look at the beauty of one who is faithfully following Jesus in the moment. Jesus is rich. White garments he wants to give you the clothe, that you may clothe yourself. In. And, and by the way, Laodicea was a rich town, so rich that I believe it was in AD 60, they had a massive earthquake, destroyed the town. They didn't need any federal help from Rome. They all just came together and they rebuilt the town themselves to let you know what kind of riches are in the town of Laodicea. The counts were good. The bank accounts were high. They were able just to rebuild the town apart from Caesar's help. I would say that's pretty rich. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, again, it's not about that. It's about you coming and buying at my storehouse because you need these things so much greater than material. And he says, I'm gonna give you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may not see again. Laodicea was a manufacturer of this medicinal salve. And again, he's taking the physical here and their assets and their, their, where they find their richness and what they put their hope in. And he's saying, hey, there, there's, a, there's a spiritual salve that I'm going to give you to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, what's there to see? What's there to see is how God is truly moving. What's there to see is have eyes of faith that truly believe that Jesus can do what he says he can do. When we repent and we posture ourselves to receive from Jesus' great wealth, we go to his store, we receive this gold by fire. The problem is many of us say we don't want that gold because the gold's painful, the gold's sacrificial. That gold takes refinement and it is hard. This morning I was reading from Paul David Tripp, New Morning Mercies. Some of you have that book or read that book, a devotional. I highly recommend it. Here, here's a quote from this morning I thought was so applicable. He said, why did Jesus send his disciples into that storm, speaking of refinement? He did it for the same reason he sometimes sends you into storms. Because he knows that sometimes you need the storm in order to be able to see the glory. For the believer, peace is not to be found in the ease of life. Real peace is only ever found in the presence, power, and grace of the Savior, the King, the Lamb, the I Am. Real peace. And let's be honest. Jesus is, Jesus is in the process of refining you and refining me. He's in the process of pulling our fingers away from those things that we hold. Our time. Maybe our maybe some of our talents, maybe our treasure, right? He's in, he's, he's in the process of pulling those things loose till we get to this posture of an open hand, till we say, God, whatever you want, wherever you want to use me, use what I have, right? Apostle Paul and Colossians 2 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Colossians 2, 1 and 2. I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all those who have not seen me face to face. So we don't think Paul actually went to Laodicea just like he didn't go to the Colossian church. We have no record of that, and he speaks of never going there. Okay? But he's writing letters to them, and this is to go to Laodicea too. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged even though they haven't seen Paul face to face, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You know what he's saying to the Laodiceans and to the Colossians? He's saying, to know me 
is what true riches are. That's what it is to know me. That's why Apostle Paul says, I want to know him and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. We don't like to pray that like him sometimes because who wants to walk through that? And the power of his resurrection. And we like to pray that. We like that because that's power. We don't like to pray, I want to know him, the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. You want to know him, God will bring you through the fellowship of suffering. But he does that so that you can draw close to him. Now look what he says. He says, and you can write this down, real love cares. Now this is beautiful. Real love cares. The very next verse, in verse 19, after he talks about buying from him, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Guys, the verb here for love, I don't know if you realize, but there's, there's three different Greek words. We use love, right? And it's kind of, eh, it's just there, like love. But like in the Greek, there's so much, <laughs> there's, there's degrees of love and there's different types of love. The love verb that he's using here, the Greek verb is phileo, which is a tender brotherly affection. This is not agapeo to value unconditionally. This is truly phileo, tender affection, love. Now, let me kind of just, let's talk about these two and why this is important. When he says, I have loved you. To those whom I love, I phileo love. He's saying this, to those who I'm affectionate for, to those who I have tenderness for and affection for. Let's contrast this, right? So that that unconditional, like, love, that agape love, right, um, that would be like, and this may be not the best illustration, but like when you're talking maybe to your spouse on the phone, and you say it, but not with affection. You're just saying, like, at the end of a phone conversation, okay, love you, bye. It's not that there's no meaning in that. No, there's meaning there. You're, 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 you're reinforcing that bedrock commitment there, right? I love you. I'm committed to you. But when you tell your spouse, I adore you, I'm affectionate towards you, I want to spend time with you and get to know you. I I love you with this tender, affectionate love. Do you see the difference there? That's what Jesus, you would think it's agape love here. It's not. He's saying phileo love. Hey, I'm tender and affectionate towards you. And because of that, I have to discipline you. Because because I I have such affection Toward you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I adore you and I care for you. It's out of this intentional adoring love that Jesus says he will correct and he will discipline. The parent that cares enough to lovingly enforce boundaries is really the parent that adores their children. Not the parent that lets their child have every want and whim. See, the parent that truly adores and is affectionate towards their children is going to be the same parent that will enforce loving boundaries to the child. The parent that does not enforce those, it says, hey, do what you want, whatever you want, whatever. Hey, man, I just want you to be happy. That's not the kind of love. And, and that's not this affectionate, adoring love. 
oh, the world may have us thinking of, of, of love that way, right? Do what you want, when you want, how you want. But that's not the love that comes from God. Our Father who art in heaven. Do you notice when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray? He chooses the familial term of Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Why? Because he is the Father who loves, and because he loves, he disciplines. Because he adores, he disciplines. Because he is crazy about you, he disciplines, and he reproves, and he corrects, and he refines. Jesus of Christ assures the church of their belovedness. Even though they are lukewarm, even though he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth, he says, but because I adore you, I will reprove you, I will discipline you. And guess what? It's Jesus' kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness and his love that we're reminded of that postures us to repent. This love is true to its own ground rules, and therefore it doesn't compel the Christians that lay out to see it to repent, but rather calls them to repent. Now we get to that famous passage. Behold, I stand at the door. That's the next one. Hold, I stand at the door and knock. How many of you have heard every evangelist say, and they're going to close it out? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. It kind of cracks me up because so many of them do it, right? I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice. Now, that's Jesus' voice, but hear me. In light of what you have just learned and what we've looked at this passage, it's not so much an evangelistic passage It's not to the lost. It's to those that are apathetic and have lost fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. So he says, I'm standing, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm waiting, but you have to open the door. You have to want me. You have to want me. And Jesus says, you can have all of me that you want, but you got to want me. So behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Friends, as all of this, every letter, Jesus is coming back to this place of intimacy. He's coming back and saying, I love you. I'm affectionate for you. I've given you these hard words. I've given you these words, and you need to repent. But I'm here, and I'm ready, and I'm waiting. So repent and come back to me, because I'm right here. And so that's truly what this passage is about. Every one of these, the rewards, the rewards and every, every church has a reward that is listed, but every one of them has this common reward. It is fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. That's the reward. He says, I will come in and I will dine, and we will be together, and we will have fellowship. Then to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, real love cares. And because Jesus really does adore you, really does love you, really is affectionate towards you, he cares enough to discipline you. 
He cares enough to give you his loving guidelines for life so that you might experience the abundant, fulfilled life. He loves you enough to tell you these things, to say, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, because he wants you to be positioned to hear his voice so that the minute you hear his voice, it's like Psalm 95. It's not today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did at the waters at Meribah, but listen to him and follow him. He phileo you. He loves you affectionately. And it is out of his love that he is drawing you back and saying, come back to fellowship. Hey, did your riches get in the way? Hey, you don't need that. You don't need it. Did a relationship get in the way? Hey, I'm refining you so that all you can see is me. And until you get that picture, until you are there and you are letting me in and we can have sweet and beautiful fellowship, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you let me in. I'm there. We have sweet, intimate, beautiful fellowship again over and over. He said, what did he say? The very first one, he said, to the tree of life is the reward for that very first church. That goes back to the beautiful fellowship that Adam had with the Lord. You and I can have that kind of intimate fellowship. In fact, the way has been paid for you to have that. For God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus came and died for us. Uh, Romans 5, 6 says that while we were utterly helpless, he came. Utterly helpless, he came. Real love cares and Jesus really does love you, and he really cares for you, and he is really calling you to himself. Let's pray.